You have entered a sex the podcast episode number eighteen. You have entered. <laughs> this episode is called "Disabled People Have Sex Too" with Megan Ryan Coates. <laughs> Bob was so proud of that. It was amazing. Uh, Megan is actually a woman that I met. Uh, about a year ago and it was probably in the most interesting of ways it was a number of us what I call witchy women getting together to play with tarot cards and just really kind of tune into another time and space and realm so of course it was perfect space for talking about sex and when I found (laughs) out that Megan was actually part of a documentary called sexual being where they really are challenging this notion of sex and sexuality when it comes to people with disabilities and I just was enamored by her and her mission and her drive to really shift that perspective around disabilities and sex and knew she had to be on the podcast. She's been taking this conversation to a national and international platform And in this conversation, some of the things we talk about are creating an empowered sexuality while living with disability. We also talk about the assumptions and incorrect judgments around sex, sexuality, and specifically cerebral palsy, which is the disability that Megan lives with. And we talk about the fine line between admiration and pity toward people with disabilities. This conversation is really awesome. Megan is an extraordinary woman. And it's also timely as in April of 2017, the documentary that Megan co-starred in got accepted into the Cannes short film corner and her and the director heading out there to promote the film. So this is an exciting time. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to sexthepodcast.com. We will put the link to find out more about that in the show notes. We hope you enjoy this episode so much. All right. Ready, set, go. Go. Hi, Megan. Hi. Hi. Bob. Hi, <laughs> Natalie. Thanks so much for coming on uh, the podcast to talk about all of the things that we are going to talk about today. Uh, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I so appreciate um I don't know if I mentioned to you that I actually saw the preview for the documentary that you had um, that you were working on, and it just moved me so much, mm-hmm. and it definitely spurred oh, really? me. Yeah, spurred yeah, me to want to talk. Yeah. I didn't know that you had seen it. That was like a none of that footage will actually even be in the documentary. That was like a trailer for us to get funding oh. for what we ended up. doing. Okay. So, like, if you liked that, then you'll really like, because that was done about a year ago, I think. Oh. And um, so that was like just to, just to try to get stuff started. But yeah, I'm glad that you liked it. A lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. So before we get there, um, what we like to start off every podcast with is inquiring around the cliff notes version of your sexual history so giving us kind of an overview of what um sex was like in your life 
kind of from from the beginning okay um well does that start with like my ideas around sex or does that start with like the first time i had sex yeah like whatever calls to you but people will start different places like the ideas like yeah the first the former sounds interesting to me i would love to hear about the ideas around it yeah Mm -hmm. so like um you know my my parents in general i don't think well i was raised by my aunt my uncle so i wasn't raised by my biological parents um so my aunt and my uncle were not very vocal about sex at all Mm -hmm. um with us i had like four brothers and four other brothers and sisters and it wasn't really discussed in the household too much but every so often i would hear like my parents joke about boys with my sister who was actually the same age as me because we're technically cousins so like she's a month uh younger so like boys and, and relationships and and sex were brought up with her but never around me and there was always like this um it just wasn't discussed and then when i started like flirting with guys and when i started having romantic feelings and like relationships i would say around like 14 um it was always my mother called it chasing boys and it was like seen in a very negative way Mm. like for example i got like my first love i guess you would say his mother hit me i was in my bike and she like backed into me in her car and like i was i ended up being okay but um i didn't want her to tell my mother because i didn't want my mom to know that i was over there and hmm. even when she brought me like she was like we got it she was like there's no way that they're not gonna know your bike is like Hmm. bent (laughs) um so she brought me home and my mom like it wasn't like oh are you okay or whatever blah blah it was like i told you not to go over there this Hmm. is what happens like and it was it was a very negative um i had a lot of shame and guilt around like me having romantic feelings for anyone for that reason Hmm. um so everything that i did sexually or romantically was very like covert and um you know like shameful there was like this this attitude of shame around it even if i didn't i didn't take it on like i i always had the separation of knowing that i shouldn't feel that way but i knew how my family felt so Mm -hmm. i didn't really get into like sex um until college when you know when i got away from that so Hmm. i actually the first time i had sex I, it was like after my first year of college, I had fooled around before then, but then I started dating this guy that I had known in high school who was quite a bit older than me, and um, not quite a bit, but I guess like six years, and when you're 18, it was, you know. Feels like a lot, yeah. And um, like, it was not good, like I didn't... I wasn't, I actually wasn't sexually attracted to him, but I wanted to get it out of the way because I was, like, sick of being a virgin. It was a terrible reason to have sex, (laughs) but, like, that was the first time that I had sex, Mm. and it was not very good. And I didn't have good sex 
until like um I think I was 20 like I had relationships between them but like the first time that I was really in love and it was like an actual intimate thing like it was around 20 Mm. when I first really liked sex I guess and were you talking about sex with other people at this point or just was it a solitary relationship yeah no I mean I definitely was like I've always even before I even when I said that I like that was the first good sex that I had like I was I was still very sexual and I was like dating and and like I was I've always been like very flirty and very like like I've always had a high romantic appetite Mm. but um Twenty was when I started to actually kind of own my sexuality a little more. I've actually never heard the appetite being linked to romantic. I've only ever heard it linked to sexual appetite, so <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then, so, like, I was in a relationship with this guy, Ron, and um, I was really in love with him, but he actually was when we had met he had just broken away from the jehovah's witness um uh church and so like for him sex outside of marriage was like a very not you know not a good thing and through the course of our relationship he somehow ended up going back to his family and kind of being uh, re-indoctrinated into that faith and so like it was interesting because, again, sex became, like, this shameful uh, uh-huh. thing for him. And um, and he ultimately ended up leaving the relationship for that reason. And um, I think my heart got really broken. And I continued to, like... I went through this period in my 20s where I just had a lot of sex. Like, I had you know, multiple partners. I would not say that I was polyamorous because it would just be like, I rarely slept with someone more than uh, once, you know, but I just went to like, just kind of experimenting and, and seeing that I could actually, that I was capable. I think I was trying to prove, prove my, like I was trying to prove something. It wasn't necessarily coming from like a heart centered place. It was more about like power and, and fun, you know? And then after that, I kind of settled down and now I would call myself like primarily monogamous. Mm. Um, And my sex life has like tamed itself, I would say. Tamed itself. But I still think that like it's, Mm -hmm. you know, sexuality is hugely important to me. But for me at this point in my life, I would like it to be part of, you know, a relationship and the context of relationship and monogamy, preferably. When you were growing up, was there a religious, did you have a religious upbringing? What was the context for your parents and not wanting you to date? Uh, No, it wasn't religion at all. My parents were like, I mean, we were kind of raised Jewish, kind of like half-half. it was more, I don't know, my parents are, like, oddly, oddly private uh, for parents. Like, I remember there was this period 
I'm almost afraid to talk about it because they're private. But like, there's this one. There was this one thing that happened a year ago where my my brother Aaron mentioned that we didn't even know about the story about how they met, and like just wanted to know details about like when he was actually born versus like when they actually got married. And my mother was was kind of excited to talk about it. She seemed, and then my dad just like shut it down. Hmm. It's like they didn't really like. They don't really, I don't know. I think it's just this like big privacy, like separation. Um, even when I started to have sex and, and they knew that I was sexually active and I was like home from college at one point and I went to spend the night with like this guy that I used to date. Um, and it wasn't even like a date date. It was just like hanging out. And I got home late because of a multitude of things and, I remember my dad was like really rude to me that morning and I'm like what's going on and then I said something he said and I don't even know where you were last night but it was just like the Mm. the tone underneath it was like so whatever so I just said to him like I didn't sleep with him and then he goes to me and he goes he says I don't want to know what happens in between the sheets and I'm like well then don't (laughs) imply that something you know happened like so they're just very um old-fashioned maybe with that stuff but i definitely think and i kind of tried to point this out before it was a little bit different with my sister there was this attitude um because of my cp my dad said this to me once it was very upsetting but he said like uh oh come on you know that you would go for any guy that showed you a least bit interest because there was always this idea that i really wasn't um you know, like, viable would be, like, a horrible word, but that's kind of what, that's the attitude that I got around it mm-hmm. in the household when I was growing up. And still, to this day, it's a little bit there. How did that feel? Like, terrible. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it feels terrible. Like, I feel like it's, um, it's very hurtful. But at the same point, I'm at a different space with it than I was. So it's hard for me to speak about it from the space where how I used to feel it, as mm-hmm. opposed to how I feel about it now. What's this? Now I'm kind of, Go ahead. Um, now I'm kind of... It doesn't really matter so much to me what they think, you know what I mean? I'm, I definitely have been loved and... I, you know, I know what that is, and I think I actually know what that is more than a lot of other people that mm. don't have a disability. So I don't necessarily feel like I don't feel limited, but it, but it does hurt me that you know my parents would see me that way. It hurts me that you know it hurts not to be seen in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but for what it's worth, like my biological dad who passed away when I was uh, twenty. He never felt that way hmm. about me when he was ta- when we would talk about boys. I never got that feeling from him, um, but it was definitely it was definitely there uh, with my aunt and uncle for sure. Hmm. I would definitely be my uncle um, hmm. more than my aunt, but there. Mm-hmm. What had your aunt and your uncle raising you? Um, my mother died when I was three and a half, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they decided that it was decided that my dad wasn't fit 
not by the courts or anything, by my family. And mm. um, and so I went to live with them. Mm. Um, so that's like the long, that's the short story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Sure. So, so that's why I was over there. Yeah. So f- for those of us who don't have a good concept of it, will you describe a little bit about your experience of just having and living with CB, CP? Um, yeah. So like cerebral palsy is a, is a real blanket term. Um, there's a whole bunch of, there's a huge range of ability that falls under CP. There are people that, that, you know, basically talk with a computer and don't have much use of their body at all. And then there are people that, um, are more mobile like myself that can live independently and, um, have you know full control over their faculties and sometimes there there's intellectual disabilities that come along with it but but not always you know what i mean so it's 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 basically a term for brain damage that happens either in utero or or like during the birthing process Mm -hmm. so it's something that you come in with it's not genetic you know it's there's nothing there's no disease in the body it's it's just neurological and neuromuscular difficulty mm-hmm. okay um, and as for me like th- the way that it's manifested is it's it's it affects every muscle in my body but definitely more so my lower body than my upper body and um, there's not really I wouldn't say that my body is weak, but what it is is that like the the messages from my brain don't get down to my spinal cord to my muscles in a very easy way. So like things that you know people without CP would find like automatic just requires a lot of focus. It just requires a lot of focus for for these things to to happen because the communication system in the body is just a little bit uh, haywire. And also there there tends to be like a lot of, I have relatively low spasticity, but um, what will happen is that the muscles are just, I think that it, that I would describe it as hypersensitivity. So like, you know, with other people, they see someone that they like and their body tenses up. But if you have CP, it's like, much more severe than that. So, mm-hmm. like, if I was, for example, to go, this is a true story. So, if I was to go get a pap smear and, like, I was nervous about getting this pap smear, like, my legs will, like, refuse to open. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like you have no, your body is just so, it's just like the body's impulses are so strong mm-hmm. and you don't always have control over it. Mm-hmm. Got it. And so, will you tell us about how this plays out around, how has this played out around sex for you? Um, you know, I've said this, it's like, I've, I've never not had CP, so who's to say, like, how much more amazing my sex life might be if I didn't, but I haven't really felt a whole lot of limitation uh, as long as, as long as I want to have sex, you know what I mean, like, as long as I'm relaxed, you know, I, I don't really have a whole, uh, a lack of flexibility 
I, you know, obviously I can't do certain things, but for the most part, all of my partners, we've tried to like, the more comfortable I am, the more, more I'm able to do something because I'm, I'm less afraid of being, of looking stupid or tripping or falling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't really feel like my sex life has been all that limited by it, mm-hmm. um, at all. Uh, if you're talking about like the mechanics of it, am I? Is that what you're asking? Um, and any, yeah. I mean, I'm just curious. Like, I'm curious about your experience of, of sex, yeah. basically. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't feel limited um, sexually by it. Mm-hmm. There's definitely this. I think with anyone, you know, when when you're with a new partner, like you're feeling, in, you know, there there are ways that you can feel insecure and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I feel that way, but it's more about like I more get more nervous when I feel like the guy is nervous or like afraid of hurting me or there's like this um you know, just this like this nervousness around it. And that that actually makes me more nervous, but mm-hmm. like the more that I I've been really lucky. I you know, I've like I've had a lot of great men in my life and um most of them i think kind of forget about it to the extent that like uh i had a guy like accidentally drag me down the stairs because he forgot that i couldn't run down the stairs with him like mm-hmm. <laughs> like he took my head just went running so it's like it's not usually on the mind of the partners that i'm with um mm-hmm. and you know a guy that would be tripped up by it, it i'm probably not going to sleep with you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It hasn't been a whole lot of, it hasn't, it hasn't, I haven't felt it as a limitation for me. And that was kind of like why, that was something that I wanted to put forward in the documentary. Like, I don't think that disability has to be um, such such a defining thing with your sexuality. I mean, obviously I have a more... I have more mobility than a lot of people, but for me, I don't find it. I I don't find it such a big deal in that in that area. I'm curious, Megan. Then is what's difficult or challenging more the stigmas around the disability than the actual disability itself when it comes to yeah. sex? Was that a question? I'm sorry. I think yeah, I yeah. Thing. Was it? Yeah. That, do you find that the more challenging piece is the stigma piece versus the actual kind of sex yeah. piece? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that has, again, that's changed via the course of my life. Like when I could say so much, so sometimes it's hard to know where to start. But um, in college, uh, I was... This is a good example. In college, I was involved with this guy, and it wasn't the healthiest thing, and he was a little bit nuts. And uh, to hurt me, what he ended up doing was sending this mass email to the entire school, accusing me of, like, stalking him. And But it was it was done, like, the whole email was... He made it about my disability in a way that was, like how could she ever think that I was into her? Like she uses a walker. Like it was just, it was absolutely horrendous. Wow. And it was hateful. And then the hate speech was, re- it was terrible. Like, 
and the worst thing is that he framed his girlfriend. <laughs> but um, you know, like it was just it was a it was a disgusting, horrible thing. But it was just to hurt me because we were because I had pissed him off. It happened right after I pissed him off because I because I said no, I didn't want to be around him. And um, but what happened afterwards was like really really interesting. The school turned it into a hate crime, and suddenly there were like these uh, protests about like you know acceptance of disability and and da 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 da. And I was and I was just like so offended by all of this because mm. um, it just completely missed the point um, because it wasn't about the disability. It's like if I had been fat the guy or if like if i had been insecure about my weight like he would have he would have latched onto that but but the majority of the campus believed that his perspective was correct that we never had a relationship that i was obsessed with him but still he should have never written those things because that was really cruel and the reality is is that we had a relationship but because of my disability, it was just so much easier for people to believe that I was this little girl that got obsessed with a guy, which is the narrative that that uh, he put forward. I see. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it was just, and and that's like the biggest stigma around it is that people have such a hard time, like reconciling someone that's you know disabled with someone that is not disabled um it's amazing how many times i can be with a boyfriend or and they think that like we're related or even i'll be with a friend and they think that like a female friend and like everybody wants to make everyone your sister it's just a very bizarre thing like um and even when i talk about like guys before i before I show pictures or whatever, they're always, it's like, they're always surprised that they're good looking, always surprised that, you know, they're, they're able, mm. like they're, they walk, you know, and it's just, it's just weird, hmm. but it's like a huge stigma. It's mm -hmm. a huge stigma. Well, it feels like it ties into that message that you got from your uncle growing up too, around kind of the viability piece too. Like, yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was, I was like 16 and I had a really big crush on my older brother's friend, Mark. And, um, my brother was really embarrassed by it. And so he sat me down one day and was like, you have to understand that biologically men will not find you as attractive because we look for, um, you know, w who looks like a healthy mate for us. And, and, you know, like, you're beautiful, but you just don't look like someone that's a healthy mate, biologically. And I remember sitting there and just, like, I mean, I was devastated. I was, like, crying, but I was more heartbroken because my brother was telling me this, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Rather than believing it, particularly. Hmm. In what ways have you been able to work through that piece? Because, again, I just get how many times that must have really impacted you know and been kind of like you said devastating to hear like working through the emotional piece how's that been for you yeah um I've kind of been I've always said that but like I've always been very independent um I've 
I went through a lot of stuff as a kid that somehow I didn't really take in as much as other people might. Um, I don't know whether that's just because I've always been like very intuitive and therefore very connected to um, truth and and what's not true and what is. So part of me like uh, didn't take it in maybe as much as other people would, but the other part of me that maybe you know still deals with it. I you know it comes up. Um, I just how I think about it is like when I really fall in love with someone um, those types of things don't matter and like I'm aware that I'm not um, there are certain guys that are not going to be into me off the bat but that's like kind of totally fine with me because as far as I'm concerned that you know that just shows the level of the relationship and 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 you know the person people that are good for me and the people that I will be able to connect with and appreciate are not going to be turned off by the idea that you know I have CP it's just not going to happen do you equate it to in a little bit of the ways that you know I think again disability aside just that there's going to be people that are attracted to you and not attracted to you and yeah exactly it's mm. like I'm not it's like I'm not attracted to guys that like wax their eyebrows, but that doesn't mean that. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't. It's like probably my soulmate is not gonna wax his eyebrows. <laughs> like, like, like to me, that's. I remember one time I was really upset. I was in college. When I was in college, it was a little bit more annoying for me when I would get drunk. Mm. So every so often I would get drunk and I would notice that like. You know, it was easier for other girls in certain ways. So I think I was, like, having a little bit of a of a pity party. And I was with my friend, like, you know, Peter, who's a really good-looking guy and, like, got a lot of girls, whatever. And I'm, like, whining to him. And he's like, Megan, it's, it's just like, it's like if you had green hair. It's like, so what? Like, you have green hair. Some guys like green hair. Some guys don't. And, it, like, it was just such a non-issue for him. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, a lot of people feel that way. And, and I know that I'm not looking to make anyone who's not attracted to me attracted to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why would you even want that? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think this is fascinating just on multiple levels because Bob and I have been talking a lot about just attraction in general and people that have types and physical types and then what we have culturally been programmed to see as attractive, you know, when it comes to bodies and body types and things like that. So it's just interesting to see how this is one way or like an extension maybe of even that conversation um, around and what one might find like physically attractive if they looked within and just kind of connected to somebody as a person and kind of you know were attracted to them as a person versus what they think they should be attracted to around body absolutely I think that like I've I've had relationships with guys that um, particularly one I had a relationship with a guy for a few years and it always teetered. It was like, are we friends? Are we more than friends? Are we? It was obviously 
he was obviously into me as more than a friend, but um, ultimately, and it wasn't just his fault, I had my own hangups, but I, I noticed that there was like this, he couldn't reconcile the idea of like him being who he was, being with someone with CP, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is this kind of expectation again of like, which we've already talked about where, you know, people see themselves with a certain type of, of woman. And, and I don't think many men or women would ideally pick someone with difficulties. And personally, if they did, I might be a little bit concerned about that. Um, you mean if they were seeking that out or what do you mean by that? Yeah. If they were like seeking that out, I don't think I, there are plenty of people in the disability community that like to like to kind of lean on the disability as a fetish or you know a plus point in certain ways for lifestyle or you know that's something that I've that's something that I've come across um Mm -hmm. there's this group that is involved in another side of our documentary called deliciously disabled and they kind of promote that 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 lifestyle and that idea that hey like your disability could actually be like what makes you hot and that's not particularly i mean that kind of offends me i mean i'm not saying that i'm against the movement i understand there are there are pluses to it but that's not never something that i wanted and when i was talking to my psychologist when i was like 18 or 19 and we were talking about these issues, I remember she said to me, she's like, well, Megan, one day someone's going to like that you need to be, t- you know, you need more care and, and you know, that guy is going to like that and that's why he'll choose you. And I remember, like, like just being absolutely horrified by that idea, you know, of of um, someone choosing me because, you know, I'm, I'm disabled. And I don't know if I've, if I've traveled off message with this, but, like... Yes, I think that, you know, I don't know that many people, like, I would be their ideal on paper, but I think that, like, once you, you know, you start to get to know someone, and and especially if that person knows who they are, that um, all the extraneous things kind of go away. It's like if you were to fall in love with someone and they got into a horrible car accident, and lost the ability of you know their legs like I would hope if that was if that would happen to me that that wouldn't throw everything out the window so Mm -hmm. it's just more an issue of of falling in love with the things that are you know inside and you know I I happen to feel that I'm beautiful you know besides that so Mm -hmm. I might not walk very well but I have other plus points No, and I don't think that veered off at all, because, again, it's about kind of what might warrant attraction, but then I'm also hearing your side of it of what you would want someone to be attracted to you for, this part of I don't want someone to be attracted to me because I need assistance, but I want them to be attracted to me for who I am and what's inside is part of what I'm hearing. That is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it's like, 
I'm constantly working on myself. There have been times where I've been, I got around even better than I do today. And, you know, I didn't take my first step until I was eight or nine years old. I, I couldn't crawl until I was like three or four. So like, you know, my mobility has always been something that that changes. It's in flux and, and I want to have kids one day. Mm-hmm. And um, so right now I'm working on getting my body in the best shape that it can. So maybe one day I can run after my kids. And, you know, I, I don't want to be stuck at this level of dependence yeah, I'm not, I even consider myself independent, but I wouldn't want someone to be attracted to my disability because then that puts, well, what happens when I'm more able? You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see that. So, yeah. So flexibility in, in that sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with your aunt and your uncle and your siblings like at this point? Um, I have a, uh, I mean, considering where we were, my relationship with my family has turned around in an incredible way that I wouldn't have ever thought was possible, and I mm. don't think anybody else would have either. Mm. I have a very good relationship with my mom and my dad. Um, of course, this documentary hasn't come out yet, and <laughs> all this stuff, but... Uh, I have a great relationship with them compared to what it was growing up. When I was growing up, I had a horrible relationship with them. I was mostly suicidal, like, through, you know, 18, 19, till I got out of the house. Um, I was a miserable kid, mm. but and I hated them. Um, but we've done a lot of, like, forgiveness and healing, and, and that wasn't all. It wasn't all about, like, the disability. There are other things there as well. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what had you want to be a part of a documentary about sex and disabilities um well I was actually I'm actually one of the producers of huh? of the project okay. and um my it was basically a it was the baby of me and my friend Paul and Paul is someone that I've known for about five years now. We met in acting school, and um, we became, probably didn't become super close until about two years into the friendship, but now we're, I don't know, like we're, we're very, very close. And I had done a documentary, I don't know, like a year and a half before we started thinking about this one because I was approached by like a like a journalist that was interested in doing it and we did it and I felt horrible about it because it was very much like uh no offense to Bill he's a lovely guy but when it came out I kind of felt like it was a kind of inspiration porn I don't know if you've ever heard that term Mm -mm. familiar with it no okay so okay so inspiration porn is this idea that it's in the disability community and it's this idea that someone is inspirational or like beautiful or something just because they have a disability and it's and it's it's offensive you know to a lot of to a lot of us because it 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 makes the disability a bigger deal that it is and nobody wants to be and there's like a fine line between admiration and like pity kind of you know so it's it's like this idea that 
like oh that's so cute like she's got a walker you know so that's what you would term as like inspiration porn it's this idea that someone is exemplary or special or or motivational just because they have a disability Mm -hmm. so that um so that was kind of like what that documentary felt like to me and i was very uncomfortable with it um and i didn't you know paul saw it and i think he said something like well he didn't really do you he didn't really feel like he did me justice and he wasn't crazy about it um but we didn't really talk about doing our own thing until i don't know i think he had an assignment about doing a documentary because he was in film school and he brought like the idea of doing one on me and and romance and sex came up and then his friend happened to know this guy named chandler who was a porn star in um canada who with 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 cp so it just kind of came together as like the perfect like um perfect two subjects that are very diametrically opposed in certain ways because i am with chandler so it kind of came together and it just seemed like such a it just seemed like kind of like kismet you know what i mean and so and so i jumped on board and um and i was super happy to do it but like i'm not i think the biggest thing with the biggest thing that that are that's going to change people's attitudes around this stuff is is not really having it thrown at them uh with like acceptance or or you know trying to make someone attracted to someone that they're not but it's just more about exposure like the more people the more you're exposed to people like this the less stigma you'll have around mm-hmm. it because you'll get to know the people and i think that like i'm kind of unique like i'm unique um i wasn't raised within the disability community my parents had a very like i would say non-acceptance of my disability which uh forced me into a very kind of independent place where i was almost grew up pretending or kind of not even looking at it and and i was always pushed to be normal to be normal to be normal which is a very different um a very different life than most people that i know with something like cp like their parents they're coddled you know um sometimes and they're usually you know they keep to themselves i really haven't met someone or many people that are disabled that have a life that is not somewhat um identified by that like i was always pushed when i was a girl to like maybe make friends with this person because they had a disability or write to this person because they had a disability and i and I never understood that. It didn't really resonate with me. I was always like, why like why should I feel more affinity or with, you know, this person just because like this person also has trouble walking and but, you know, that perspective as far as I have come and you know, the the people that I've that I've met that work with organizations like UCP and are really like magazines like Ability and whatever it's just unique i mean because they have the disabled community has a lot of pride around disability and i think in certain ways it makes them smaller and i'm not saying that like my way is 
is the way or that people should reject who they are. I think that, you know, that hurt me in certain ways too. But I think I would hope that through this documentary that people see that their world doesn't have to be so small. You know mm. what I mean? You don't have to stay within the confines of the disabled community. You're you're not sexually attractive because you have a disability. You know, you don't have to stay within that box. Mm -hmm. So I think that was my motivating factor with this documentary to just kind of like lead by example, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is there anything anything else that you want to say about the movie or just any piece of the conversation that we've had or maybe any parts that we haven't had as we start to wrap up? Um, I mean, I don't think so. If you have any other questions, I'm happy to answer them. Mm -hmm. But I think I've said everything that I want to. Okay. For somebody who's interested in staying in the loop around the production of this movie, how can they do that? Well, Sexual Being has a Facebook page and it has a web page on the worldwide web so i think i think it's w i think it's sexualbeing.com but if you look it up it will definitely you'll definitely be able to find it and we have a facebook page but right now we're just working on the um right now we're we finished up the short or you know the short is being edited and finished up and that's gonna come out it has to premiere for bravo factual because they're the people that that funded it so it's not going to be available until it's in their film festival which i think is sometime during 2017 and then it'll be released um i think it's going to be on television in canada as well hmm. um but th we've already started working pre-production on the feature and that's going to be a different thing it's going to be a bigger uh it's going to be a bigger film the short is only i think uh 16 minutes so the feature will be a bigger deal and that'll be out in the next couple of years but if you follow the facebook um page then i'm sure that'll keep you in the loop and yes cool so to wrap up natalie and i have a question each for you mm -hmm. i'll ask mine okay. first <laughs> How would you describe sex to somebody who's never had it before? Hmm. <laughs> I know. His question always like is, has the most interest, interesting reactions from people. <laughs> uh, I would say that sex for someone that has never had it before... Well, I would say ideally... <laughs> I think there's, there, I think there's an ideal, and then there's like, I mean, cause sex can be a, sex can be any manner of things. Like sex can be the like something. You can have sex that's like riding a bicycle, or you can have transcendent sex. So, um, but I think sex ideally is when two people merge in like a very um, physical and energetic way, and. Um, but, you know, sex can also be a clumsy, like, search for, like, satisfaction, too. So I think it, <laughs> I think, I think it could be, a, it's a wide range of, of sex. But for me, like, ideally, it's, it's really a transcendent experience where two people 
come together in a really magical way that kind of where the boundaries dissolve, you know. Hmm. Thank you. And my question is, what is your favorite thing about sex? Intimacy. Mm. Uh, if you haven't figured that out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, intimacy is my favorite thing about sex. I I would actually, I'm the type of person, I, I wasn't always this way, but I've gotten to the point in my life where if I'm not having sex with someone that I am... Um, really in love with I would rather be masturbating because for me sex is um, has become like a very and I'm not saying that like a poly experience can't be sacred but for, I've just come to to a place where it's a little bit more precious to me than it used to be and um, it's it's just about love and intimacy and closeness and I think it's and that's my favorite part about it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well Megan thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today oh, you're welcome I hope that it was alright of it course it's your story it <laughs> <laughs> was wonderful yeah, no, I just I just love the way that you frame things in general. And I mean, that's one thing that I definitely fell in love with you about when we first met is just your worldview and the way you see things and the perspectives you hold. And yeah, so I really appreciate your perspective around sex and sex and disabilities and that whole that whole realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I really yeah. appreciate you. too. And it was nice to meet you, Bob. Maybe yeah. I'll meet you for real. I, I, I say there's a good chance of that happening. Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Megan. Okay, take care. You have exited episode number 18 of Sex the Podcast. <laughs> we hope it was as good for you as it was for us. <laughs> <laughs> she says as she lights a cigarette. Yes, and has a huskier voice than when I started. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that you might not know because we spend so much time interviewing people in these conversations is that Natalie and I have actually spent uh, combined the past probably about 10 years of our lives deeply supporting singles and couples around sex and relationship and the reason why we have this podcast in the first place is because we have this commitment the stake that we have planted in the ground is that everybody gets to have just a really mutually inspiring passionate and connected sex lives and relationships yeah and we would definitely love to support you if that's something you're looking for to either come up with what sex and sexuality is for yourself to get clear on the kind of relationship that you want and that works for you or to shed some of the conditioning and education we've gotten around sex and love that might not even be ours and that applies whether you're currently in a relationship or not right if that's something that sounds interesting to you you can go to sexthepodcast.com reach out to us via the contact page there let us know what's up we want to love up on you until next time <laughs>